Hello, welcome to Washington Game Changers. This is a podcast from the League of Education Voters, and my name is Lori Hennessy, and I'm the CEO of the League. In a difficult time for democracy, I think it's very important to hear more about the good that's being done in our community. This podcast looks at those who give back to our community. They do this through finding innovative solutions, they inspire others, they lead the way in making our state more equitable and just. The podcast is a one-on-one -on -one conversation with powerful leaders in a time when we need to hear more good in the world. So I've shared four interviews with you so far as part of this podcast. The first was with Dr. Ben Danielson from UW Medicine. And Dr. Ben spoke about racial equity and reckoning with our own roles in transforming our community. The second podcast was Marty Hartman from Mary's Place. Marty spoke about the reality of homelessness versus what many of us see today. Then we spoke to Sean Good, who works for Choose 180. And Sean talked very eloquently about restorative justice, kids of color, his family's own experience with the justice system. Then we spoke to Estella Ortega, a longtime leader around civil rights and equity in our community. And she spoke about her late husband's work and what El Centro de la Raza does in our community. And you can find all of those wherever you listen to your podcast. So today's guest is in good company with People Change in the World, and he's done a lot of it himself. Tim Burgess was a city councilman in Seattle for a decade and mayor as well in late 2017. Before he was in politics, he was a radio journalist and a police officer, among other things. Tim, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here, Lori. It's great to see you. So first off the bat, I just have to say this in full disclosure. I have found out through researching you in the last couple of years that we share two things. One is we both worked in radio early in our careers. When I was at Cairo, I think you were at KJR? Yes, KJR, yeah. So that was the first thing I found and I wanna hear more about that. But then I also found that we both went back and got our degrees. Now, of course, yeah. I'm mentioning this because I got my degree two weeks ago. Um, oh, well, congratulations. Yeah. 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 It was sort of, I phrase it as a 35 year um, source of embarrassment for me that I had dropped out of UW long ago. And, you know, your career picks up and keeps going and you keep saying, you know, someday I should go back and finish that. So when I shared on Facebook a year or two ago that I was going back to finish finally, um, it really made my day because you responded, I went back <laughs> and I told someone if the yeah. former mayor of Seattle makes it okay, it's okay. So tell me about that. How did you go back? So um, back in the early 1970s, when I did attend the University of Washington, my shift in the police department changed. And so I had to withdraw that particular quarter because I couldn't go to class and work as a police officer at the same time. And I withdrew, I kind of broke the cycle and I was kind of on to other things and I never finished. Uh, and so when I left City Hall at the end of 2017, my daughters um, really continued their teasing of me about <laughs> being a college dropout and said, you ought to go back and finish. So I called to the UW, spoke to an academic advisor and said, hey, I think I have eight credits to go. What do I do? And uh, she came back to me about a week later and said, well, you actually have 12 credits to go. And here's classes we suggest you take to satisfy that requirement. And so I did it and I graduated and got my, my bachelor's in political science. <laughs> 
I just love, now you were going before COVID. So you, were you going to class? Yes, this, this is, this is before COVID. So this would have been, um, uh, 2018 and early 2019. And wow. so I got, I got to 12 hours. It, it was really kind of funny because, you know, someone my age, everybody in the classes I took assumed that I was one of these older folks that can come and audit a class for <laughs> $15 or whatever it is, something that Governor Evans uh, put in place when he yeah. was governor. And so I always sat with all that little cohort of people. So here's the, here's all the old folks over in the corner. Uh, but one guy finally figured it out and he challenged me and said, you're actually taking this for credit, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> and I said, yes. It was yeah, great the, experience, though. Yeah, the I I have found um, perhaps the most liberating part of going back all these years later is doing my part in removing the stigma because this this whole stigma of not talking about the fact that you drop out that I've now discovered there's this quiet group of people out there who were like me. <laughs> And most of them, it's because of stories like mine, where I was working at a radio station and I started going to class less and less. Yeah. Um, I, I got so much more out of it going back in my late 50s. I was such a geek. My kids are now grown <laughs> and they were laughing because I'd be calling them every week after class. I just learned another thing I have to share. And boy, <laughs> yeah. I, rec- yeah. I recommend it highly. For me, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm getting my master's next. And um, Oh, great. That's great, Yeah, yeah I start yeah. next month. So it's, it's really... Yeah. That, there's my ad for lifelong learning. If, if the former mayor of the city of Seattle can go back and finish. <laughs> then <laughs> and he, anybody can do it. Yeah. Well, you got me beat. You, you went back in your 50s. I went back in my early 70s. So <laughs> I, I finally got that taken care of. <laughs> All right. That's great. Well, now, yeah. now you have that little check mark, right? Yeah. So, so tell us about your own career. So you started in radio and then what happened after that? I started in radio right after graduating from Lincoln High School. In fact, my journalism teacher in my senior year gave me an assignment one Friday afternoon to come back on Monday and give a report as if I was a radio journalist. And she was kind of poking at me a bit. She made a comment like, "Um, you don't write very well, Tim, but you sure can talk. So come back Monday and tell (laughs) us about this story. And uh, I did. And that weekend, I also just randomly called KJR, spoke to Les Parsons, who was one of the news folks then. And he actually broadcast my report that afternoon on KJR. So I went back Monday morning and played my report uh, that KJR had broadcast. And they then hired me as a stringer, a freelancer. And yeah. three or four months later, Pat O'Day, the program manager and uh, general manager of the station mm-hmm. said, hey, do you want to work here full time? And I said, yes. And I spent four and a half years as a field reporter for KJR, which, you know, it was unusual because KJR was a top 40 rock and roll mm-hmm. station yeah. and those and, and number one station in the city. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll stations weren't known for focusing on news, but Pat really wanted to have a strong news department. And there were nine or 10 or 11 of us in the news department at KJR. That's unheard of even today (laughs) at most radio stations. So it was a great experience. And one day I covered a speech that Wes Ullman, who had just Uh, been elected mayor of Seattle, gave 
about reforming the police service. Mm -hmm. And in that speech, he invited young people to come join the police service and help change it. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm in my early 20s. I could do that. So I I signed up and spent the next uh, eight years or so as a police officer, both a patrol officer on the street. And I also did some public affairs work uh, Mm -hmm. for the chief of police and was a detective investigating burglary, theft, and fraud cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow. then I decided I was going to solve global poverty. And so I went to work for an international relief and development agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, that then led to me forming a marketing communications company to serve nonprofit organizations here in North America and in Europe. And I ran that company for 20 years and then decided... I should run for city council. And (laughs) so I've had, I've had major changes in my career path, but uh, I've always tried to do what was really driving me and kind Mm -hmm. of what I was passionate about and what would bring some level of um, satisfaction that I was making a difference for the common good. That's kind of the consistent thread that runs throughout all of that. That's great. You know, I, I like this whole sort of bouncing around thing. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with having many different phases of your professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really demonstrate that. I mean, whenever I meet someone and say, yeah, you know, like you, I've had many different phases where I was back on Capitol Hill and then I worked at a PR firm and I run nonprofits and people will say, wow, that's a lot of different chapters. And I always say, I am never bored. Because you keep finding yeah. new things to explore. So mm-hmm. that, that's a really, it's a healthy way to me to go about life. Um, so somewhere in that time frame that you outlined, uh, as I was um, doing some research, I found that, sorry about my, I, I apparently forgot to turn off my notifications, so we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> I, I did some research and found that when you were a police officer there in the early part of your career, you spent a lot of time and as you were patrolling, saw some of the things that we're now talking about today in terms of poverty, in terms of inequity. Could you talk a little bit about that chapter? Sure. When I graduated from the police academy, my first assignment was in the patrol uh, division, working on the street as a uniformed officer. And I was assigned to the night shift. So we started at about 8.15 at night and got off at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I was assigned to the High Point Housing Project in West Seattle. Mm-hmm. And believe me, in the early 1970s, mm-hmm. it was not anything like High Point is today. Mm-hmm. It was um, more or less a typical area dedicated to low-income, uh, affordable, and uh, sus- uh, supported housing. Um, it had a serious crime problem. Um, it, it was a mess. It didn't look good. There was a lot of garbage and trash everywhere. Uh, there were some periods of time where we would not enter High Point unless there were four officers present uh, at a time. It's transformed today. It's very different today. But that was a that was an eye-opening experience to me. I had been rather sheltered uh, mm-hmm. growing up and I saw the impacts of poverty, intergenerational poverty. I saw the impacts of 
a lack of opportunity, especially with kids of color. Mm. I saw the impacts of racism, discrimination, unfair treatment. And especially when I talked to young people, to kids, because we related to kids a lot, mm. um, and they would open up eventually and kind of tell their story, there was a common thread. And that common thread centered mostly around the impact of poverty, mm -hmm. the impact of crime and them as victims of crime, repeated mm -hmm. victims and racism. Those were the common threads for many of those kids that we dealt with. So that was my first exposure. And later when I was elected to the city council, I discovered that while things are different than they were in the 1970s, in so many ways, they're exactly the same. And so I realized that helping kids get the strong, fair start they deserve mm -hmm. is really, really crucial. And so I focused a lot of my time at City Hall on issues around children. How about a lot of that time, it seems, in the last few years on council, and I know now, um, has been focused around early learning. What, what are some of the things that you found in terms of the critical nature of early learning and some of those disproportionate starts that we see for kids? Yeah. So I discovered in talking to school district people and talking to uh, city employees who were involved with our families and education levy, teachers, parents, that kids of color, um, over half of them, mm -hmm. show up at the kindergarten door when they're age five, already behind. And as I explored the science of brain development in kids and I looked at the effects and recovered from that. So I started doing research. I started passing out academic articles to my colleagues. I passed out books on the value of early learning and getting that strong and fair start in the birth to five window, which is so, so critical for kids. Um, and eventually that led to the creation of the Seattle preschool program. We put together a study mission to the East Coast. We took about 42 people, elected officials from Seattle and King County, union representatives, school board members, uh, childcare providers, preschool providers. We all flew off to the East Coast, went to Boston, um, Jersey City, New Jersey and Washington DC. And we saw examples of exemplar, high quality uh, preschool. And then came back to Seattle and made a charter, excuse me, a uh, ballot measure to mm -hmm. impose a new tax in order to create the Seattle preschool program. And it passed overwhelmingly. And this next September, they will start their seventh year and we'll have 128 classrooms spread across the city. Most of them offering dual language instruction, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. many of them offering before and after care as well. Because, uh, you know, parents have to have a full work day where their kids can be cared yeah. for. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great program. It's only, it's, it's one of three municipal government preschool programs in the United States that meets all 10 national quality standards for preschool. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very proud of that program. I just wish we could expand it. Yeah. 
You froze for a second, so I'm hoping that you, can you still hear me? More quickly? Uh, yeah. Very, very important to me. Sorry about that. For, I hope, did, did I freeze on your end? I'm hoping. No. Was, okay, hoping that was no. a half second blip on my side. Yeah, the, um, the early learning, when, when that, now what year was it again when it passed? Uh, 2014, no, was, November of 14. It was overwhelming, wasn't it? Much higher than people had expected. Uh, if I'm remembering right, it was 64, 65% yeah. approval. Oh, and, amazing. you know, 2014, we weren't fully recovered from the Great Recession yet. Yeah, yeah. Seattle started on the recession a little later than other parts of the country, and we recovered a little later. But mm -hmm. even in the midst of that, I think Seattle voters, who frankly are very smart, mm -hmm. recognized that we have to invest more early in order to change life outcomes for, for our kids. And that is so true today. You know, one thing you, as you talk that I'm thinking is this whole idea of um, the importance of public service. You talked about this through line in your career of trying to give back or help. And I worry because we, in this cynical time that we're in right now, I, I worry that are we gonna have enough people who go into public service who, who see it as something that's worth doing because it feels like it's very much under attack at times. I mean, do you do a lot of mentoring or talking to students and trying to encourage people to go into public service? I, I do some of that. I was talking to uh, a young woman. Well, she's in her 40s now, but <laughs> that's still young compared to me. Um, <clears throat> just the other day. And she reminded me, I'd forgotten this. She reminded me that I invited her to our home many, many years ago mm -hmm. and encouraged her to run for public office and explain to her the pros and cons of doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, she did, uh, unfortunately she was not successful, but she remains heavily involved in what I refer to as building the common good, mm -hmm. which is public service to make cer certain that our society is just, mm -hmm. that it's fair and that it provides opportunity to everyone without regard to where they came from or where they were born, where they live, their skin color or any, any other factor. Everyone deserves uh, equal opportunity. And they also deserve that we as a society will take corrective steps where they have not had that opportunity. And I think that's a big challenge for us today is to figure out how to do that and make sure that we do do that. You know, it's, it's funny, very early in my career, I, um, I worked for John Miller. Do you remember John Miller? Oh, sure, of course. <laughs> I worked for him. I was his press secretary in D.C. And um, one night we were coming back in a cab from some event. And for folks who have not been around a long time, John was a moderate Republican who started out in city council and just a really, really good guy, um, nice guy. And I was coming back in a cab with them one night and I looked up at the dome against the sky. And it was one of those moments where it was just stark and beautiful against the sky. And I said, I know you're gonna think I sound like some tourist, but I always get a shiver when I look at the dome lit up against the sky and I realize that I work here. And I remember mm -hmm. John said in his real distinctive voice, which I'll try not to impersonate him because I always do. But he, he said, Lori, when the day comes that you don't feel that way, you should not work in Washington, D.C. anymore. Mm -hmm. it, means you, it means you've been here too long. 
Yeah. And I and I find myself thinking so much of that these days as we have people mm -hmm. attack the Capitol and um, people taking on that very thing that I found so beloved. Um, it's difficult to see. But it's, it's definitely yeah. an interesting chapter in terms of how people see public service. Yeah. Um, it's go ahead. No, you go ahead, Laurie. Well, I was just going to say one one thing that <clears throat> I feel like is missing in this difficult time is this ability to disagree um, and see that you might love someone or care someone or forgive someone, even though you politically disagree. That seems to be something we don't do as much anymore. Yeah, I, I think you're right. We've, in politics, we've lost the art of compromise. Mm -hmm. In fact, some people think compromise is evil. Mm -hmm. um, and we've all run to our corners mm -hmm. and we defend our corners really well. And what that means is that we see the divisiveness, we see the divides, we see the personal attacks, we see the people getting off course and forgetting mm -hmm. that we're supposed to be building the common good for everyone. And it's very disappointing. But mm -hmm. even in the face of that disappointment, we can't shy away. And I mm -hmm. think our, our city, our state, our nation needs people who will stand up and listen well, plan well, compromise sometimes to get things done. Otherwise, we're going to be in deep trouble here mm -hmm. sooner than we think, because the divides are really sharp. And many of the divides are built on falsehoods, mm -hmm. on misunderstandings. Um, and we need to get past that. Yeah. You know, it's, as I look at you and, and um, talk to you, I, I keep thinking how um, there was a Facebook photo, maybe, I don't know, a couple of years ago. It seems like a lifetime ago now, but there was a photo of you, you and your wife, and you were, you were either rollerblading or what were you doing? It was some very, very active thing where you guys were like visiting relatives somewhere on the east coast and doing something and i remember thinking you know this is something to aspire to <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad i didn't kill myself whatever i was doing i don't remember, remember that was, but, yeah. maybe you were skating or yeah, you were yeah. doing something very active with grandkids and i remember thinking you know we have so many opportunities to to reinvent ourselves and to keep finding joy in every chapter you know and, and find something new to do and you seem to really be doing that. You and Jolene just keep finding new things to do. And I know you were traveling a lot before we went into this weird chapter, right? Yeah, we were. And we've got grandkids, five of them. They all, they all, um, um, they all live in Seattle. Mm -hmm. uh, we stay engaged. We will. I, you know, I don't read certain blogs. I don't mm -hmm. do much on Twitter. I'm more present on Facebook. Uh, Jolene keeps reminding me, Tim, do not read comments. You don't need to go there. Those are fringe people who don't know what they're talking about. And all they <laughs> want to do is bitch and moan and complain and attack. Uh, some people really enjoy personal attacks on people. And mm -hmm. there's just, there's not room for that in my mind. And I try to avoid that. It's easy to get discouraged. You know, nobody likes to be attacked or have their integrity questioned or have their motives assigned somehow. Um, mm -hmm. So we all need to work on being better about that and try to push past that so that we can get good things done. Yeah. 
Well, I, the phrase that came to me at the time is that you guys kind of made growing older look fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been, we've been incredibly blessed, Lori. We've got a great family. We're generally healthy, Mm -hmm. although I do notice that I don't have the energy I used to have. I, Mm -hmm. uh, but um, yeah, we're doing great and we live in a wonderful city. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you've been doing during the pandemic? Um, I know a lot of people have been doing Netflix till it's almost all gone. Some people are doing new ways of cooking. Um, myself, you know, I live on Vashon Island and because I've picked up four hours from not commuting every day, I've taken up kayaking. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. So, yes, I do a lot of kayaking these days. Sometimes I'll be on conference calls and people will say, wait a minute, are you kayaking? Because they hear the splashing sound. Yeah, yeah. So what sort of well, I, I haven't, I haven't, um, um, I haven't done anything that adventuresome, <laughs> but I have upped my cooking. Uh, I love to cook and um before the virus hit, you know, we'd have people over a lot and have dinner parties and such. The one part of cooking that I've expanded into is baking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've learned, I actually went up to Burlington where King Arthur uh, Flower Company has yeah. a facility and a training uh, facility and took classes there. And so I, I, I now bake a lot of bread and give it away and deliver it to our kids. And oh, that's so great. I, I just made four loaves the other day. It's a lot of fun. And it's, it's, uh, it's, my, it's my creative outlet, if you will. But I'm very involved in early learning strategies and how to make sure that we deliver high quality preschool and high quality childcare for infants and toddlers across the state of Washington. And the University of Washington has a um, very interesting concept and idea mm-hmm. that we've been working on now for three years, and mm-hmm. hopefully it will come to fruition soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's where I spend a lot of time too. So um, one last question for you. During COVID, one thing that we have been engaging on a lot at um, the organization is just trying to get our arms around by offering webinars or Zoom meetings, conferences, whatever we can, trying to give an opportunity and a space for people to talk about how kids are being affected um, by remote learning, which has just been really hard hard to watch, all the mental health impacts that kids of all ages have, um, a lot of the disproportional impacts in terms of kids being able to get online in some communities, not others. Some have tutors, some don't. any thoughts on you in terms of, you know, just kind of sitting back and hearing those stories about all the kids and what's happening during this time in terms of what, what we can be doing to support other communities right now? What, what can we do to make sure that this time does not leave such a long lasting impact on some people in the community? Is it mentoring? Is it volunteering? What, what do people do? So that's a huge challenge because I think it is going to have kind of tailing impacts uh, even as we uh, conquer the virus, hopefully mm-hmm. soon, and start to achieve an economic uh, resurgence here locally in our region. Um, you know, I'm not sure I have an answer to that. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's very important that we stay open to the reality that this virus has caused real harm. Mm -hmm. And it has especially caused harm in 
um, families in neighborhoods where there are high rates of poverty. It's caused harm in families uh, of people of color, our, our black and brown and indigenous neighbors. Uh, that's the reality. It's, it's caused real harms. And some of those harms will be lasting unless we take proactive steps to cure those harms. And we see some of that uh, being talked about and uh, considered, but mm -hmm. I think we should always be asking, what are we missing? And what else do we need to do? Because those harms are very real. Yeah. yeah. So Tim, um, it's, great, it's great to talk to you. And I just wanna say thank you because I remember when you became mayor, it was during a time of a lot of upheaval in this community. And, um, mm -hmm. and I think I remember this feeling that I was at some conference and someone had said that you were stepping in as mayor. Um, and there was just this feeling of like a sigh of relief in, in the crowd, this feeling of like, okay, all right, good. Cause it had been a wild year. Um, you were mayor for what, mm -hmm. 70 days, 71 days? Se 71 days, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Very were... short window. <laughs> Well, you were a great mayor, and I think a, well, a very, you. very steadying um, presence. And and also just, I know when you were on council, um, some of my inside sources at the city tell me just a, just a joy for people to work with. And, and I just wanted to say thank you for all that time and service on the city side. It, it was an honor to serve at City Hall. And yeah. it's also nice to be gone from City Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Great but it was it. It, it, it was <laughs> it was great time. I loved every minute of it. All right. Well, it's great to talk to you. And what should people do? Last question for you: If they do want to do anything, um, get involved in early learning, do something to be involved in some way in this really important issue. Is there an organization you recommend that they seek out? Um, not not particularly, but I will say that President Biden has proposed a really really good. Uh, birth to five strategy that involves uh, quality childcare for infants and toddlers, universal preschool for all three and four-year-olds, just and basically saying the K-12 system is now preschool to 12. Yeah. And all the science, all the evidence says that would be a really good move. Mm -hmm. He's proposed that that preschool program be free to everyone and that childcare not cost any family more than 7% of their household income. Mm -hmm. So making it accessible and affordable to all families. And then there's another component, uh, family supports for those families that may need a little extra help or mm -hmm. care. It's a great program. I hope that the Congress will give it serious uh, consideration. And if they don't, we should do it in the state of Washington. <laughs> and we, can do it in the state of Washington if we have the political will to do it. All right, well, early learning advocate, former radio reporter, councilman, mayor, <laughs> and UW graduate. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Lori. Happy, happy to be with you today. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. So thanks again, and um, stay tuned. You can find this podcast and others wherever you find your podcast. We're on Spotify and Apple. You also can go to our website, educationvoters.org, to see all the Washington Game Changers podcasts. And you can also go there to email me any ideas for people you'd like to have me talk to in the future. So Tim Burgess, thanks again. 
And thanks to everyone for tuning in. Take care. Thanks.